0: The story of Jesus is an amazing story. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the second person in the Godhead. He was, He is, and He always will be. He has no beginning. He has no ending. He is always God. In Colossians chapter 1, we are told that it was through Jesus that God, the Godhead, created the heavens and the earth and all that there is. Because of God's preordained plan for the redemption of man, Jesus, God, became man. He was born of a virgin. He took on flesh and blood. He lived a perfect life. But Jesus didn't come to this earth to live. Jesus came to this earth to die. And when Jesus was about 33 years of age, he died on a cross He didn't die on the cross at the hands of the Roman soldiers or the Jewish religious leaders. He died on that cross for your sins and for my sins. We are told that it was an agonizing death he experienced, but it was also a victorious death. Through his death, you and I can have forgiveness, but Jesus didn't stay dead. On the third day, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And because Jesus defeated sin and death, you and I have hope for eternal life. After 40 days of walking on earth, Jesus ascended into heaven, and now he is at the right hand of his Father in heaven. But that's not the end of the story. It gets better. You see, the Bible tells us that this Jesus who came to earth as a man, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross as payment for my sins and your sins, this Jesus who rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, is coming back one day. And when he comes back, he's not going to come back as our Savior. He is going to come back as our Sovereign Lord, ruling and reigning on the throne, forever, and that's what we want to focus on this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. We've been in a series on Psalms, looking at four of the Psalms that tell us about Jesus, His birth, His death, His resurrection, and now I want us to focus on His future reign. Now, when we look at Psalm chapter 2, which is written by David, it is obvious that David isn't writing this psalm about himself. He's not speaking about his kingdom. He is talking about a king that will one day rule and reign forever. And he's talking about a kingdom that will never end. And as we read this psalm, we discover that God one day is going to put an end to all of the rebellion that has ever took place by mankind. So if your Bibles are open to Psalm chapter 2, I want you to follow along as I read. And remember, this is talking about Jesus and when Jesus rules and reigns on the throne one day in the future. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with feudal plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger, he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear, rejoice with trembling, submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant, but what joy for all who take refuge in him. Now, as we look at this psalm, we see very clearly that this psalm is broken down into four parts. The first part talks about a future rebellion that's going to take place among man. Now let me say to you that mankind has always been in rebellion against God since creation itself. But there is coming a day when there will be a future rebellion which the Bible says all the nations and all the rulers of the earth will join together to break free from God. And this is what this is talking about right here. Now, where did all this rebellion begin? Uh, How did rebellion against the creator God come to be? Well, rebellion began with Satan. Satan is the first of the created beings who rebelled against God. In Isaiah chapter 14, it says this, How you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth. You have destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend And set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like God. Most people say that Isaiah chapter 14 is speaking of Satan before he fell. Before he rebelled against God. Ezekiel tells us that Satan was an angel. Satan was the anointed cherub, the guardian angel that was protecting the very throne of God. We're told that when God created Satan, he made him full of wisdom, full of beauty. He was the model of perfection. But Satan wasn't content to serve God. The Bible tells us that Satan wanted to be served. He wanted to be God. He wanted to sit on the throne of God. So he rebelled against God. But listen, it doesn't matter how wise you are. It doesn't matter how beautiful you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you may think you are. You are still the created being, and it's futile to rebel against the creator. But that's what Satan did. He thought that he could rebel against the one who created him, so God cast him down. God destroyed the rebellion in an instant, in a moment. After Satan rebelled, Satan brought that rebellion into the human race through Adam and Eve. We read about that in Genesis chapter 3. God created Adam and Eve in his own image, in his own likeness. God created Adam and Eve to have intimate relationship with him. God wanted to live in an intimate relationship with his creation. There was one thing that God told Adam and Eve they could not do. God said, you cannot eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will die. Now, some people may ask, why did God do that? God did that for their protection. God knew that they could not handle that knowledge. But Satan came along. And Satan told Adam and Eve, if you eat this fruit, you won't die. You will become just like God. And so Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. They rebelled against God, and because of that, death came into their lives and death came into humanity, but rebellion also came into humanity. We are told that their sin, their rebellion, has infected each and every one of us. Each and every one of us have sin in our DNA. That's why the prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep go astray. Just like a sheep is prone to wander, each and every one of us are prone to stray from God. We're prone to rebel against God. It's in our DNA. It's in our genetic makeup. It's in our, the fabric of our very being. The apostle Paul said it this way. He said, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. You see, sin is rebellion against God. Sin is rebellion against God's right to rule your life. Sin is a desire to do your thing, to go your way, to be your own God. And we see this rebellion from the time of Satan, from the time of Adam and Eve, all throughout human history. And rebellion always carries consequences. We see that in Genesis chapter 6 when God destroyed the entire world with the exception of Noah and his family because of the extent of human wickedness. Scripture says everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally wicked. The world had become so evil that every thought that entered into the mind of man was wicked and evil. We see this in Genesis 19 when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because the Bible says their sin was great. We see this in Genesis chapter 21, or Judges chapter 21, the end of this book when it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we see this in Jonah when God called Jonah to preach judgment to the people of Nineveh because of how wicked the people were. And whenever you go home and look in the mirror, you see it looking back at you in the mirror. We are a rebellious people throughout human history. Mankind has proven over and over again that we will rebel against God. At times, it seems like we're getting better. At times, it seems like humanity may be moving in the right direction. But all of a sudden, we go back to our default rebellion against our Creator. And it seems today it's getting worse than it's ever been before. And though there are pockets of obedience, the disobedience and rebellion against God seems to be worldwide. The Apostle Paul warned us against this. He said in the last days there will be dangerous, difficult times. And the reason the last days will be difficult times is because of the way people are living in the last days. Uh, Listen to what Paul said. He said that the people will love only themselves. They will scoff at God. They will consider nothing sacred. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. That's what Paul says it's going to look like as we move into the last days. If you would have told me 20 or 30 years ago, what we would be experiencing today in our world, what we'd be seeing with our own eyes, I would have told you you were crazy. I would have said, there is no way these things will happen. Not here, not now, but today in America. In America that says in God we trust, we have redefined marriage. God says a man will leave his mother and father and cleave into his wife. But now we said marriage is whatever to whoever. It doesn't matter. We've redefined gender. God created them male and female. And now we've said that, that there is no male or female. You can decide what gender you want to be. It seems that everything that is decent and holy is being removed from our land. Yesterday, Sherry and I were driving through North, North Asheville in North Carolina, and, and there was this, this park on the right side of the road. It was a beautiful park. There was a lake there. There were kayaks and boats, canoes. Obviously, during good weather, people get on the lake and do that. People were walking their dogs and walking together there at the park. There was a family taking a family Christmas um, um, photo shoot there. And then, right there, beside the road, was a woman, topless, flaunting herself, just dancing around in the street for everybody to see. Sherry turned to me and said, did I see what I think I just saw? I said, you saw it. That's the world in which we're living. And we laugh at it because we think it's silly, it's crazy, it's evil, it's wicked. That's the world in which we're living. Everything around us is getting more and more evil. But listen, it's going to get worse. Because there is going to be a future rebellion against God that ends all rebellion. You think the rebellion against God and His authority is bad right now? Oh no. You just wait. You wait until the church is removed from the world, and it will be. You wait until the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is removed from the world, and he will be. You wait until Satan and the demons of hell are giving full rule and reign on planet Earth. There's coming a day, and they are going to deceive the nations And the Bible tells us in Psalm 2 and other places that all of the nations of the world and all of the people of the world will join forces together for one common purpose, one plan to break free from God. That word plan in verse 2 The word means to to meditate. It's It's the same word used in Psalm chapter 1 verse 2 when it says that a godly man meditates on God's law, God's word. But here in Psalm 2, the wicked are meditating, plotting, planning how they can break free from God. They call it the chains of God, slavery to God. There's coming a day when there's going to be this concerted effort of everyone on planet Earth to break free from God. Now think about that. In verse 1, it starts with a question, why? Why are the nations so angry? And that's a good question, isn't it? Why? Why are the people of the world angry at God? What has God done to the people of the world? God created us in His image, in His likeness. God created us to have a relationship with Him. When we sinned, when we rebelled, God paid the ultimate price, the death of His Son, so that you and I could be brought back into right relationship with God. God has done nothing but love us and care for us and provide for us. And yet, the nations want to break free from God's rule and God's reign. I don't understand it. I I can't explain it. But in these last days, there's going to be a rebellion against the person of God and the precepts, the laws of God uh, like never before. You think it's bad now? You look around and you think, how could it get any worse? It's going to get worse. In Revelation 16, it says this, And I saw three evil spirits, they look like frogs, leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them. Listen, for what? For battle against the Lord. In these last days, demons are going to to possess people and, and get them to fight against God. In Revelation 19, it says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gather together to fight against the one sitting on the horse. That's Jesus and his army. From the beginning of time, creation has rebelled against God. Satan rebelled. Adam and Eve rebelled, that led to you and I rebelling, but there's coming a rebellion. And when that rebellion comes, it's going to end all rebellion. Second thing that this passage talks about is the response of God to man's rebellion. Notice what God does. The Bible says, first of all, God laughs. God laughs at their rebellion. Now, this isn't a laughter because what they're doing is humorous. It's a laughter because what they're doing is ridiculous. Man, the created rebelling against the creator. How foolish is that? I mean, to think that the created being thinks that they can rise up and do battle against the creator. God laughs at them and then he scoffs at them. The King James says derision. The word literally means to mock. God laughs at them, and he just then he, he mocks them. What do you think you're doing? In Psalm 37, it says, The Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. You see, our rebellion against God is unbelievable. How do we possibly think that we can wage war against God and win. So God laughs. But then the Bible says that God gets angry. The King James says displeasure. The word is fury. It it literally means burning anger. God is seething with anger. He's as angry as he can be. His wrath is about to be poured out on humanity. Some people believe that God is simply a God of love and and mercy, that God isn't a God of wrath. But I want you to know that that's not the God of the Bible. If God is God, God is not only loving, God is not only merciful, but God is also a God of judgment. God is a God of wrath. God must right the wrongs in the world or he's not God. And there's coming a day when God is going to right every single wrong. You see, the wrath of God is just as holy as the love of God. And so here's this rebellion that's going to come against God. And what does God do? He laughs. I can't believe them. And then he gets angry. And then he makes a declaration. I have set my son on the throne. Now Jesus, he's already on the throne. If you're a child of God, he's on the throne of your life. You have surrendered to his lordship. But listen, there is coming a day when Jesus is coming back and he is going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem and he is going to reign over each and every one of of us and so God gives this decree I have set my son on the throne and he will rule and reign the rebellion of man to end all rebellions the response of God but then we see the reign of King Jesus I want you to listen to what it says back in Revelation 19 this is kind of a long passage but but I, I think it's worth reading Listen to what it says beginning in verse 11. It says, Then I saw heaven opened. A white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses, From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh were written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky. Come, gather together for a great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh, listen, of kings and Generals of strong warriors of horses and their riders and all humanity both free and slave small and great. It goes on to say and the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast miracles that deceived all who accepted the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding on the white horse and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. You see, that's what it's talking about in Psalm chapter 2 when it talks about he will rule with an iron rod. Jesus is going to come back. And when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to show mercy and grace. Jesus is coming back to show judgment against sin, and he is going to set up his kingdom. And so in light of that, what are we supposed to do? Well, in Psalm chapter 2, we see, just like God always does, God's grace shine through. In the latter couple of verses of this chapter, God gives us a final warning. He gives us three things that we need to do he said in light of the fact that there is a rebellion coming light of the fact that your rebellion is futile and Jesus will reign there's some things you need to do the first thing you need to do is you need to serve the Lord with reverent fear that word serve is translated worship oftentimes. But, but in the Bible, the word worship doesn't mean to come and sit in a seat and sing some songs and raise your hand a little bit, clap, and do a dance if you're Pentecostal or whatever else. That's not what it means. To worship means to serve. It means to bow. It means to, to give yourself to. That's what worship is. Now, we worship God in reverent fear. Because of our fear of God, we worship Him. Now, there are many today that say that we shouldn't fear God, and I don't know where people get that idea. Oh, man, you need to fear God. God is holy. God is almighty. God is all-powerful. And in the Bible... Anyone who went into God's presence trembled with fear. You don't approach God flippantly. You approach God reverently. The Bible says fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of life. So we serve the Lord out of reverent fear. Do you fear God? Do you recognize who he is? Do you understand that he is almighty God? Second, you submit to Jesus as your king. That means you surrender to him and his will. What he says goes. We have this idea today that that we pray a prayer, we get dunked in some water and everything's okay and we're going to heaven. But just because I prayed a prayer and dunked in water doesn't mean I'm going to heaven. I have to submit my life, surrender my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to his rule and reign in my life. Jesus is king. Jesus is creator. Jesus is ruler of all. And he deserves your surrender. He deserves your submission. You don't give your life to Jesus and then just do what you want to do. You give your life to Jesus and then you give your life serving Him and surrendering to Him and following Him. And then David ends it up with this. He tells us that true joy, true joy only comes to those who trust Jesus. The word that that is in the translation we read is refuge. It's the word that means trust or hope. The one who places their trust, their complete confidence, in the Lord. And this isn't just trusting Him for salvation. This is trusting Him with your life. I mean, goodness gracious. If I'm going to trust Jesus to get me from this life into heaven then certainly I'm going to trust Jesus with the everyday decisions of life, what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, which direction I need to go. We trust Jesus with our life. So let me ask you, have you? Because the only way you're going to discover joy, real joy in life, is to trust Him with every aspect of your life. Submit to his rule in your life and serve him out of reverential fear. And when you do that, let me tell you, you'll discover what you were created for. You will find a joy that nothing in this world is ever going to give you. So have you discovered it? Have you given your heart and life to Jesus completely? Not prayed a prayer, not went through the motions. Have you trusted Jesus to save you? Are you trusting Jesus with your life? Have you submitted to his rule in your life? Are you serving him each and every day? When you do that, you'll find joy. And remember, he's coming back. And though the world may be living in rebellion, one day, (laughs) one day, he's going to subdue the rebellion. One day, he's going to take over. And his rule and reign will then last forever. And so if you're here and you don't know him, then I beg you today before you leave, get to know him. Would you bow your head with me? Would you close your eyes? With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, but you're wanting to do that today, you can pray this prayer right where you're at. Dear Jesus, I humbly come to you today acknowledging that I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you. I've lived life my way. I've acted like I was God. I'm sorry. I don't want to live this way anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death. And today, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. Take control. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to live my life for you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen.